Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest has a tremendous passion for helping others get better connected to what they seek. Terry takes time to uncover people's needs and leverages his network and knowledge to see them fulfilled. He spends most of his time as a business growth strategist, sought after speaker, and corporate trainer. Additionally, Terry has spent 15 years producing TEDx Detroit. Terry, thank you so much for coming on and being a guest. We have a lot to cover today. So how we doing? How's how's life treating you? I'm doing great. It kind of threw me off. You might be the only person that calls me just Terry. Every time I hear my name, it's always Terry Bean, right? Like it's one word, Terry Bean. It's just like me thing, Terry Bean. Yeah. So I'm like, Terry, oh shit, that's still me. That's me, right? You do have a good name. You know, Angela Bucciolato does not roll off the tongue nice like Terry Bean does. So a little different. Yeah. Like you have more syllables in the last name than I do in the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Get it. That is true. Anytime I think of you of like Terry Bean, yes, you're never just Terry. So I mixed it up today. Uh, No, no, I like it. Gotta, you know, keep people guessing a little bit. Yeah, keep you on your toes. Exactly. So before we dive into everything, we're throwing it back to childhood. What do you want to be when you grew up? What was your childhood like? What I want to be when I grew up? I am pretty sure I had no flipping clue what I wanted to be, right? I, I feel like rich would have been the answer, but how I was going to obtain that, I, I don't remember ever being like, I want to be a pro baseball player, or I want to be a fireman, or I want to be a cop, or... You know, in, in, I guess all three of those things were probably true for about six minutes. Um, I grew up between Michigan and Minnesota. I moved to Minnesota when I was 12 years old. So I claimed dual residency. The formative years were in Minnesota. I'll tell you what, though. It's a weird time to pack up your kid and move them to a different state. Yeah. Because you're not really fully adjusted. And where I lived in Michigan here in Farmington... I was like advanced and in the gifted intelligent program and doing all those fancy things. And I got to Minnesota and I was basically remedial. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't really that bad. Right. But I was like in all the average normal normie classes and they were like a whole year ahead of us. It was a wild time. Plus, I went from all my friends moving into sixth grade, going into middle school And I went back to one more year of elementary school because just the way the schools were set up. So that was a wild time. But I did I did the sports thing. I, you know, baseball, basketball, football. Football was the only one that I stuck with the entire time. Uh, Baseball, I dropped out probably sophomore year. Basketball a little bit before that. But I really enjoyed that. Uh, Had wildly different cliques of friends. Right. Could walk in the, you know, whether they were the nerdy kids or the sporto kids or the dirtball kids or whatever. I had buddies in each of those groups, which was really, really cool and probably dramatic foreshadowing for the life that I built. Yeah. You know, then my dad told me when I was in high school, my junior year, he said, you go to school, go to college anywhere in the country you want and you pay for it. Or you go to school anywhere in the state of Michigan, because my parents were divorced when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. My dad stayed here. My mom moved and got remarried in Minnesota. I probably should have said that part. Um, <laughs> my dad said, you come to school anywhere in the state of Michigan, I'll pick up the tab. Ooh. So that's how I ended up back in Michigan for the first time. And then I moved back here again years later. But 
we're through the childhood years. So what do you think of all that mess? It's so funny because I have this ongoing theory that if you were someone in middle school, high school, that you had friends in different groups, like you're a super networker. As an adult, you are someone that can make friends with the wall. And I'm sitting over here laughing because I was the same way. I mean, I remember my high school graduation party. It had someone from every, you know, click, so to say. And I've always been that way, too, of even the people that are like, oh, I don't know, they're kind of weird or they're kind of whatever. I've had friends in each one that I honestly still talk to to this day. So it's funny that you're almost confirming my theory I've been thinking about lately um, of being a more outgoing kid or not even just like an outgoing kid, but just someone that can like build connections or just have a good conversation, which makes sense for what we were talking about before we even started recording. So it's coming full circle. And it's true. And I think you're right. I think the ability to meet people where they are is what attracts other people to you. And it allows people to be like, I feel really good about this person right now. They're my new bestie. Hug it out. Let's go. Yes. So there's the question. Do you get that at a young age and more people are attracted to you? So is it because you have this quality that more people are attracted to you? Or do you develop that equality as more people show up in your world? So chicken or the egg? Well, and I think it's interesting because as we were laughing about, I do come from a big Italian family and growing up, I mean, we go out to eat, we go to the store and it's, I swear the old school Italian is like, oh, so-and-so. Like I learned from a young age, you just hug and say hello, even if you have not a clue who the person is, because it would happen everywhere. And I kind of laugh now, but my parents always were big on us like doing activities or we were involved. My brother and I were involved in sports or different. I was super involved in different clubs in high school, mediocre student, but always in social clubs. And I think that was like ingrained in us from like younger age of just like talk to people and have a conversation and don't just like judge a book by its cover. And that's like you said, meeting people where they are, I think has really helped I mean, number one for me, this podcast growing to be crazy for you, all the greatness you do with TEDx. And I don't know where you find half these people that are just incredible stories, but it's just like, what's the difference? I'll just ask you. And it either works or it doesn't work. And that's it. Right? I live by the philosophy that I can ask you whatever I want. It's up to you to answer. Right. And so when people are like, well, can I ask you? Yeah, you can ask me whatever you want. It's up to me to determine whether I'm going to answer it. Right. Right. So ask. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Yes, exactly. Now, I doubt you grew up was like, I want to be a growth strategist and I want to do all of this. Like, I didn't even know what a growth strategist was, I think, till uh, my 20s. But you go to college in Michigan. What happens after college? And then what was your next step on your path? Oh, that's a good question. So I was at Eastern Michigan University. Um, this is fun. I don't normally divulge this, but I'm going to tell you just just yes. us girls talking there. Of course. Um, <laughs> I'm drunk at a mm-hmm. friend's house and she's sleeping and I'm not ready to go to sleep. And so I had this application that I filled out for grad school. And it was for a graduate assistantship because, you know, you should really take your future so seriously that you should be hammered on someone else's couch at two in the morning, filling out a grad school app. Why not? You know, priorities. Very, very, that is a very Terry Bean thing to do. And so fast forward 
three or four months. I'd graduated from college. It's the week that I'm moving back to Minnesota and I'm going to figure out life once I get back home. And I hadn't started packing because I had like three days to do all that. Of course, plenty of time. Yeah, no worries there. And I go to the mail and I open the mail. It's from Eastern Michigan. It says, congratulations, you've been accepted into our graduate assistantship program. And I'm like, what in the flying F is this? I don't know what anything, I'm no clue. Congratulations, you're in the communications department. We're going to pay for your master's degree. Wow. We're going to give $600 a month as a stipend. You're going to teach public speaking recitation. It's a two-year program. And way to go, you. And I'm like, whoa. Didn't see any of this coming. Told my roommates, hey, guess I'm not moving. We don't need to find a new guy to take my spot. I'm staying. So I now I'm, I've got this job, right? Like now I'm a adjunct teacher, kind of. It was weird. And I finally figured out how it happened. I traced it back to that night on the couch at Kathy's place. And yeah, dude, it was crazy. So... I'm in grad school program. I'm in this teaching program. There's 20 other uh, graduate assistants like me. One of them, fast forward, becomes my first wife. Didn't really see that coming either. So that was kind of a surprise. Uh, We ended up moving down to Columbus, Ohio. She was a year ahead of me. So about, it was December she got a job with 3M. Oh, wow. We moved out to 3M in, in St. Paul so she could go do three months of training. And then I was supposed to graduate in April. So I finished a year and a half of my program, put it on hold. We went to St. Paul for her training. We moved to Columbus, Ohio for her job. And I lived there for from 95 until 2000. And so while I was there, I ended up finding this networking group. This dude calls me. I'm selling computer software training, Word, Access, Excel, computer programming training. And this dude calls me up, Jim Beck. He says, hey, my name's Jim, and I'm a sales guy, and I sell computer networks. So we should do some networking because, you know, you sell training, and if we network together, we might be able to get more business for each other. And I'm like, slow down, homeboy. Take it easy. Yeah. You just said network three times in three different ways, and I only understood one of them. So let's let's take (laughs) it from the the top. Yeah. Yeah. Pump the brakes. So he explains it to me. I find, I I go join a group. Love it. All of a sudden, I'm in this group for a year and a half. Now I'm an area director. I'm 26, 27 years old. You've been to enough networking groups when you know that if you're 26 or 27, there's like two people younger than you in the entire world of that network, right? So you're always the youngest cat in the room. And I was overseeing a handful of chapters. And so I did that for a couple of years. And then I moved back to Michigan in 2000 and I looked around, couldn't find groups that I liked, Um, joined a couple president of one for a while wasn't the same thing and i started motor city connect in 2005 2006 officially but the groundwork was 2005 and that was one buddy said 
I want to build a face-to-face networking group that's different than anything anyone's ever been to. So I said, okay, cool. I'm in. Let's do that. A different buddy said, I want to build a LinkedIn group. So all this digital stuff that we're doing and LinkedIn wasn't passing out groups in 2005 like they do today. No. So we couldn't, we couldn't even get it. You know, fast forward a year, I finally took the, the peanut butter and dumped that chocolate right in it and created one of the world's first online hybrid real world networking groups. And that was forever ago and lasted up until uh, right up until COVID. Jeez. Now, at what point, because I, I don't want to mix stories, but I want to first talk about networking groups because I'm very passionate. I think I joined my first networking group at 24, so also was a baby. But I was bullied in the best way possible because I'm like, well, I didn't have the resume rescue full time. It was just like my side hustle. And I'm like, I'm not an established business. I don't make millions of dollars. Like I'm not someone that could join it because I don't have all these credentials. Like I assumed everyone has. So before we go on a tangent, talk us through why are networking groups important? Who can join them? Why were you so passionate about building Motor City Connect and the success you saw from it? So those are three very different questions. So let me let me hit them in reverse order. Motor City Connect became a necessity. Mm-hmm. I was connecting with people on LinkedIn all over the world. And in 2005, 2006, I was fascinating. I was growing my network. I was meeting people. I was learning about culture and business and ideas and folks in different parts of the world. And all of that was cool. But the one thing all those people had in common not only gave a shit about Detroit. And in 2006, right, 2005, Detroit was like, it was in yep. a downward spiral. And it wasn't even a spiral. It was just a straight collision course. And it dawned on me that in order for Detroit to regain any of its former glory, it wasn't going to be left to the big three and the corporations. It was going to be on the entrepreneurial class. Because if you think about 2006, we were right at the very beginning stages of the financial tsunami that ripped through in 2008. I could see that that was coming, that people were going to be out of jobs, that people were going to have to learn how to fend for themselves and do their own thing. So Motor City Connect became a beacon to help people get the ideas and the knowledge and the connections to the opportunities they were going to need to succeed. And so that's what it was. That's why it exists. That's why the logo kind of looks like a sun, because it was this bright, beacony sort of cool thing. Um, so why networking? Because of those reasons, you can get connected to what you need for your personal or business growth, right? If you're doing it right, Not only are you going to meet your next client or your next strategic partner or your next employee, you're also going to meet the next opportunity, the next piece of wisdom, the next board member, the next piece of advice that really is going to propel you down the road, right? But you have to be open to those things and you have to be open to giving to receive those things. So super important. And I don't remember exactly what the first question was, but I will tell you, you made a comment about looking at what you have versus what you presumed everyone else had. 
And when I was very young, 1998 timeline, I remember someone telling me, just fake it till you make it. And I thought for a second, oh, yeah, you could totally do that. And then it dawned on me, that's garbage advice, right? Don't be someone you're not. Don't pretend to be something you are. Just be straightforward and honest. And so we look at people and we assume that they're this way or that way. But if we were actually asked, a lot of folks would just tell you, yeah, you know what? Business is good, but it's not great, right? I've made a million dollars, but nowhere near in the course of one year or five years, right? It's like I have aggregated that, but I'm not right. wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm rich in my imagination, but that's different. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of things that we're all working on to get better at. And I'm a big fan of the idea that we are better together. And I love that, too, because I kind of shock people where I'm probably too honest or I'm very I'm very open and I'm not gatekeeping any information for being an entrepreneur or the struggles or this and that. And you build better connections. So the whole like fake it till you make it, you're going to attract the people that you're pretending to be, which are ultimately not who you are in your core essence. So why would you not just kind of show up and be honest or you know what you know and you know what you don't know. I mean, you know, I'm 29 and I know there's plenty I do not know. I know there's a lot I got to learn and what we're going to do, but it's helped us grow and understand that and kind of attracting those people that aren't. And I hate this too, where some people are like, oh, that's so cute. Like, or my kids are older than you and just like, you know, put me in a box because I'm still in my 20s for now. But it's so interesting because I feel and we met through a networking group too, but the right networking group and the right connections, you leave, I like to say, like feeling empowered or making connections or knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know. Like, I don't know a lot. I mean, you're phenomenal at public speaking. All the intricacies between TEDx, it's been fun to watch you over the last few years seeing how these events happen, which I do want to talk about. It's such an opportunity to learn, to grow, to build connections. Like you said, next partner, next whoever. If you're coming in it to, I need something and I'm going to get everything out of it, don't even bother joining. But what can you provide to others, whether it's a piece of knowledge or a connection or something, those are the right people that are in networking groups and they're not as grimy and suit and tie and just like, I did millions of dollars in business. You said something about the idea that if you are pretending to be someone, you're going to attract people that are like you're pretending to be. And to take that one step further, you're going to attract people that are pretending to be someone like you're pretending to be, right? So there's no authenticity no. anywhere. And Listen, if you want to make a bunch of bullshit relationships, go right ahead. No one's stopping you. Enjoy yourself. But <laughs> there's more to it. I wrote a book on networking 15 years ago. And I wrote it because after running a bunch of networking groups, I saw how many mistakes people make all day, every day while networking. And it drove me nuts. I was doing this training. I used to set up and do a training before the event. Right. So you could get the most out of the event and people would come. And after doing it 20 times, I'm like, well, OK, well, you just write the book because you can impact more folks. 
True. And writing a book's whatever. It can be really easy. It can be really daunting. It can be whatever you make of it. But it turns out writing the book doesn't matter one lick if you don't actively sell the book. Right? <laughs> like Fair point. Yes. The worst thing. Like, oh, I wrote a book. Oh, how'd you sell? Well, I wasn't trying to sell a book. I was trying to write it. I just wrote it one step at a time. Okay. I wrote it. That's it. Don't ask for more. No, listen, why are you focused on the wrong thing? It's written. But the, the point is, and why I was saying this, is even as someone that is brand new to industry, we've all got so much that we can offer, right? And, and you nailed it. It's about what we give. If you're going there just focused on getting, you're going to be a really frustrated networker. But if you go in there with the idea of giving, whether it's your knowledge, whether it's the people you already know, so your network, whether it's some big ideas or some insight or some time or some energy or some opportunities, you've got all of these things that you can share right now, regardless if you've been in business for five seconds or 50 years. And it's nice to know that and keep that in mind. It is. Now, how did you get involved with TEDx? Because I just love this. I find it so fascinating because, I mean, TED Talks have been around for, I remember watching them in high school for different courses and things we were doing. So the fact of seeing it and I'm like, oh, I know that guy on stage. That's cool. But walk us through, I'm sure this could be its own podcast, but how'd you get involved? Charlie, Charlie Wahlberg, C-Dub. Um, so... Early on in the Motor City Connect days, Motor City Connect was around for about six months. We're at a meeting in Ferndale, and there's 30 of us all shooting this shit, and there's this one guy that's kind of like, he's getting almost as much attention as I am. I was like, what is this shocking? <laughs> he was He's super funny, super cool guy, and people are like, wait, you two have never met? No, we haven't met at all. So we start hanging out. He's a disgruntled BNI guy. He sees what I'm doing, and he's a hell of a marketer, and not to mention a good design guy. And so he's like, I want to help. And I said, good. I need all the help I can get. Oh, you want to just do this more city connect thing? Oh, okay, fine. Well, that, I need help there, too. And so we joined forces, and it really just blew this thing out of the water, right? It got big, fast. And so that was 2007 when he and I first met. In 2009, I get a phone call and he says, hey, good news. I got a speaking event for us. We're going to put on uh, Ted. And I said, great, who's Ted? <laughs> and he's like, you know those videos I've been sending you? And I'm like, bro, I didn't see me in any of the videos, so I don't think I've watched any of them. No. no. <laughs> you know, just clowning. And he's like, no, it's that, that conference, the Technology Enter, Enter, uh, Entertainment and Design. And I said, okay, are we speaking at this event or not? And he said, yeah. And I said, all right, then we'll do what we need to do. It was like early August 09. I had a friend of mine that was at Lawrence Tech University. I asked if we could borrow a cup of auditorium, like a good neighbor, right? Yeah. I didn't need sugar. I needed an auditorium. It's an auditorium. And, and so she was kind enough to let us host that first one there. Uh, needless to say, we got a little bit of flack for having TEDx Detroit in Southfield. But, you know, whatever. I would have told you, and I'm sure someone said it, that in 2009, 2010, 
you know, if you looked anywhere on a map, right, it didn't matter if you were from Auburn Hills or from West Bloomfield or from Wyandotte, right, you were from Detroit. And so we really needed to focus and shift our mindset that this area, again, doesn't matter, 248-810-586-313, you are from Detroit, right? You can get away with saying you're from Ann Arbor if you're from Ann Arbor. Yes. But aside from that, you're from the D because that's the mindset. And we needed to have good, positive information coming out of this area. So for me, it, it worked. Um, the first round of speakers was ridiculously easy. The rules for TEDx, the first one is has to be less than 100 people. Uh, can't do anything for charity unless you've attended one of their big TED events. Well, we didn't attend one of their big TED events. And we had about 320 people and donated about $6,000 to charity. So we got in a little bit of trouble, got a little little hand slap, little hand slappy slap. <laughs> um, but not enough trouble that they didn't let us do it year two, where we said, oh, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll follow your rules, and had 1,000 people and donated over $10,000 to charity. Whoops. Yeah, both hands slapped the next year. Both hands, that time. Both hands. They were they were serious. And the third year we did it bigger and better again. And they said, Listen, you sons of bitches, uh if you don't knock this off, we're never approving another license for you because we're now hearing from people in different parts of the world. Well, Detroit did it. Well, you oh, let Detroit do oops. it. So we were we were like the poster child for what not to do. But in the same breath, we're like, listen, this city was on the best doorstep. Yep. It needs this. So you can be mad. We're going to keep doing what we do. So the fourth one, we scaled it all the way back. We went less than 300 people, barely donated anything. It was a tiny little event. And then it kicked all the way up. So 15 of them, right? We've had anywhere audiences from... 300 people a couple of times to 3,500 people was the biggest one in 2019. Uh, And, you know, we're ramping slowly back up. We were at just about 1,000 people this year at Motor City Casino. That was September 28th. We're already looking at what we're doing for this year in 2024. TEDx will be old enough to drive. Oh, that's weird. It's like, we're going to have to let our child go, man. Right. It's going to have to do its thing. So it's been wild. It's been an absolutely amazing ride. So what questions do you have? Oh, there's so many. Now, getting involved with it, and I went to my first one. You didn't have it in 2020? Maybe it's 21. We did virtual. We pivoted and went online. I had a lot of board members that were like, I'm not. No, I I refuse to bring people together. And I'm like, yeah, chicken. Okay. All right, fine. They were right. I I know. Ultimately, I I agreed with them. I'm a community first guy, right? Right. To make this event successful, it's so fascinating because, and I, I make fun of Benji all the time because that's how I got connected was listening to his TED Talk. And I was like, wow, I'm going to slide in his DMs and ask him to be on the podcast because he's great. And now we've become friends and it's been awesome. So thanks for bringing us together. He's one of my favorites. Oh, he is the best. But the funny thing is, and I told him this, 
I saw a commercial real estate broker and I was like, oh, another finance bro, another like commercial real estate. And then was not at all what he talked about, of course. So again, Angela, don't judge a book by its cover of what his title is. I learned my lesson. But you have cultivated really interesting people. I got Tim Finkel, Mike Jeter. So a lot of people from to that TEDx year I got um, to come on the podcast and have become friends. What's kind of the decision behind who you, I don't want to say like let in or who you give this speaking engagement to and what makes for a great event? Because there's so many moving factors to make this successful and engaging because it's all day speakers. So what goes into that? You know what? It's again, I go back to Charlie. Charlie is like a master chef. If he were here, he would tell you it's stone soup. Okay. Right. It's whatever ingredients you're given and then putting them together in the right order and the right mix. Like he drives me nuts because he's so meticulous. He can't fill out the slate of speakers without filling out the schedule of speakers. Okay. Right? So where it would be relatively easy to say, we need 30 speakers for this event. Okay, uh, then one, two, three, four, five, 30. Good. Now we'll figure out what order they're in, right? So you can make the announcement of these are the speakers and get some lift and get some traction and get people excited about the event. He won't do that because... Speaker A has to proceed Speaker B and, you know, Speaker Q isn't going to show up until I know who speakers are and S and T are. And it's like, bro, are you nuts? Right? So it'll schedule the whole thing out every time. Chef's kiss. Right? Right. The chef's kiss. I was going to say chef's kiss because, you know, it's not everybody's going to be watching this and maybe it didn't make the chef's kiss sound properly. I don't know. So I'm with you. So it's that, right? It's a lot of that. And so after 15 years, you can imagine that we have a list of people that we want on that stage and that list grows. And the only criteria that we have that is hard and fast rules are you have to be from or tied to the state of Michigan. You could have gone to school here. You could have grown up here and moved away. You could have worked here for a while and moved away, but you have to have some legitimate tie to the state. Not my cousin is there, right? right? Somebody you had to live here, but that's the rule. And so we've got a list of, you know, expats that are outside of the state. We've got a list of people that are in the state. And then we've got a list of folks that apply and we get 200 applications every single year. And I actually started putting together a coaching program on how to help you land a TEDx stage because after looking at hundreds of applications, there are things that people do that are inherently wrong. And there are things that can do to improve your lot. And what most people don't know is there's like 3,000 TEDx events every single year. That many? Yeah. 3,000? And it's like now, right? Because it's worldwide. Right. And we're one of the very first, there was a period of time when I would have told you we were one of the first 50 on the planet, but I think we were one of the first 100 on the planet opening it back up in 2009. Wow. And we're one of the longest running and one of the largest. 
It does make sense because I know it is global, but that's just so many events when you say it like that. But if you think about it, it does make sense in other countries, states, you know, few in the yeah. same state. So it does make sense. If there's 10 a day around the globe. Right. There you go. That's wild to think about. Now, without giving away the trade secrets, what are we looking forward to for the next year in 2024 for TEDx, the next five years? I know it's a loaded question, but what are you most excited about growing this and making it to what it will be? You know, if you had asked me this question four years ago, I would have told you the most exciting thing to me was setting the world record for attendance. I have backed off that as my ambition and my goal. Fair. But because it's it's gone just so sideways over the last couple of years. Uh, but uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina had 10,500 people at a soccer match once. And so we were basically a third of that is at our largest. So I was like, I was ready. We had Ford Field, not like we were going to fill Ford Field, but we were going to do it at Ford Field in 2020. And we had the contract signed and ready to go. And yeah, somebody else had other plans for us. Yes. We did the same thing in 21 and ended up not doing it then either. So it was rough. And so as far as what's next, I love the idea of being a catalyst for amazing conversations. And I think that's going to continue because that's just in our DNA, right? We're bringing really interesting folks, doing cool stuff. And the piece that always surprises me almost as much as anything is the music that we put on that stage. I'm not a country guy, but we had a dude named Louis Lee at our little show this year. And he's done a wonderful fusion of rap and country music. Interesting. And he's like the coolest, the coolest dude. I just, now I gotta like, I'm saying this like Louis Lee, like I know what I'm talking about, but it is, it's the, the Louis Lee show on YouTube and he's just cool. He's just cool. And so his music's fun. And Al Bettis was there and Al was amazing as well. And, you know, we've had like Dinosaur Junior Junior was on. And then like two years later, I look and, you know, they're on like the late show with Jimmy Fallon. And it's like, yeah, wait a second, what? You know, so Mary, not uh, Dale Aircraft Junior Junior, I'm Dinosaur Junior. I'm getting my D Juniors mixed up. I was like, but Dinosaur Junior is a band because they opened for Foo Fighters when I saw them a few years ago. So I was like, what? That's crazy. Nice. Yeah, the Foo Fighters puts on a hell of a show, too. They're not from Detroit, though, so I we know. can't hook You ever get the connection to meet Dave Grohl, you hook a sister up, because I, I, will, will. I will simply be deceased if I ever meet that man. So, but I, I back will. to you. You know what? Red Hot Chili Peppers, Anthony Kiedis is from Michigan. I know. I was going to go to that. I'm a huge concert fiend. That is where my my money goes. I'm not a materialistic gal. It's all concerts. But yeah, I regret not going to that show. But it was coming back from a wedding in Pennsylvania. And I'm like, it's going to be too. I'm going to be tired and hungover. But yeah, that's so that's an excuse that I don't. I don't know. Right. I'm going to be tired. So what? It was more I was going to be hungover. And I was so. Right. I'm going to throw up in the stage. Now that's legit, right? <laughs> that's really what happened. I don't care. I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's my theory. So yes, I'm I'm one I don't sleep. With you on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so TEDx has been cool. And I expect that it will be cool. To be totally clear and candid, I've been trying to quit the team for six years now. 
yeah. and get us to quit as a rule because we're all <laughs> old and it's a lot of work and a lot of effort. Yeah, no one's interested in listening to me and quitting though. So we just keep going. So another six years from now and you're like, oh, I had 12 years in the make of trying to quit. Officially retire at some point. Well, I can't, if there's no, I'm still going to get all the questions. People right. are still going to mess with me. People are still going to ask me all about it. And I'm like, well, what's the point of quitting? Just do it. Just do it. Might yeah. as well get, might as well get that four seconds on stage, right? Just take that little bow. Exactly. Get the street cred there. Come on. That's what we need. That's it. As we wrap this up, what advice do you have for listeners? I'll give you my number one favorite piece of advice that I ever received. It was keep your highs low and your lows high. I was a recruiter Mm -hmm. in a previous life. And in that time, you know, you know a little bit about the staffing world. Oh, yeah. If you're a recruiter. And you get a good job order and a good candidate, you make really good money. Yep. Right? If they if everything goes well and they offer the job and they accept it. And so I got uh, like one of my first interviews lined up and I was sure as fire that this was a money was spent. This thing was done. It was over. Right? This guy was the their knight in shining armor and this was the job he had waited for his entire life. So was pretty jacked up and my boss at the time used those words he's like you need to do yourself a favor in this business and keep your highs low and your lows high and i was like i'm not even oh yeah never mind i get it right i wasn't sure what he meant at first but you know there's something about taking that middle path and i wrote a second book this past year And I focused a little bit on that because we spend so much time going from extreme to extreme to extreme to extreme. And yeah, there's an elation point and a joy point that you don't necessarily achieve if you're trying to keep your highs low. But simultaneously, there's a debilitation point and a low point that you never, ever hit or suffer through when you keep your lows hot. So for me, you know, maybe I miss out a little bit on that roller coaster, but I figured out how to ratchet that middle ground higher and higher and higher every year. So my midpoint is like anybody else's 75% dot, right? My natural operating system is I'm happy as a clam, right? I got plenty of joy. I got plenty of energy. I got all the excitement I need, right? And that's just me being Tuesday, right? Like you see me on a Friday night. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And by see me on a Friday night, I mean, you know, sitting on my couch at 9 p.m. because I'm old. Um, But, you know, if it is go time, oh, it's go time. My daughter will invite me out to parents' night. She will not invite my wife out, her mom out to parents' night. Oh, you're the cool parent. Yes. That's how my parents are. My mom's the cool one. So I get that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how it is. Well, yeah, I like, I like that advice. The other thing I would tell you is learn to be introspective. Yeah. All the answers to all the questions you've ever asked 
none of them are outside of you. They're all in here, right? So once you can figure out how to align your head, your heart, and your gut, if you can get those three things marching in the same direction, you are on the right path. You're golden. And I I love that part of what you said of what advice you were given of kind of like that middle ground, because I know I'm sometimes more reactive of like the highs are highs, the lows are lows, but keeping that middle ground. And I love the head, heart and gut because it's all there. I mean, to start your own business, to move to a certain state, to take on TEDx, to do whatever. I mean, you're your own worst enemy. And someone had approached, I I think I read this online or something. It was like, who is telling you that negative self-talk you're telling yourself? It's like, oh, well, I am. Or would you look your partner, your daughter, your whoever in the face and tell them that negative self-talk you're telling yourself? Absolutely not. So it's something that's really interesting. And it's so true. I mean, that's that's the number one advice I give people for interviewing. It's like, trust your gut. Your gut is telling you, no, there's a reason. And it's it's the best piece of advice I could give you, honestly, with anything. Well, most people are way too emotionally, right? And emotions are hard. Yep. There's a lot of people that are way too intellectual and they're up in their head. And these two things will really mess with you. And I'm not saying your gut won't. Right. But your gut is like, I'm focused on now. Mm-hmm. Right? This is instinct at its finest at its core. And so if, if it's screaming at you, you should absolutely listen to it. Because it is going to be the most right of the three, in my humble opinion, right? Your head's always kind of focused on on the future. Your heart's usually focused a little bit too much on the past. Your gut's kind of got that now vibe to it. And, you know, again, aligning the three is what's really important, right? You should take input from where you can get it. I look at it as our four brains, right? Our gut brain, our heart brain our head brain, and then there's this cosmic consciousness that if we can connect into that. You're good. Smooth sailing. Smooth sailing. We good. We good. I love it. Terry Bean, this was so much fun. This was great. And for those of you listening, if you want to follow Terry's journey, head to the show notes, buy his books because he's not promoting himself enough. So go buy his two books. And thank you again for being a guest. This was so much fun. But tune in again next week for another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone. But here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.